So get your Bibles. Lock Talk Radio. I'm getting on the internet right now, and so it's simultaneous. Well, good evening, and welcome to the Word on Wednesday, where we are engaged in a study of 1 Samuel entitled Transition to Transformation. We have been in this study now for quite a while, and I don't know if many of you are used to going through uh, a book of the Bible with the thoroughness that we are employing. I would pray that... um, that you would stick it out, that you would continue to to show up every Wednesday night with your Bibles and receive a blessing from the Lord. I was just saying to uh, the folks on Periscope that uh, it is important that we engage in the Word of God. And what do I mean by that? Um, God uses me as his instrument to teach. He uses his word as the ve- as a vehicle of his expression, and together we explore what God is saying, and we can come to some agreement as to what he has said and what he means, but it is the Spirit of God who is leading us through this process, but more importantly, It's the Spirit of God who will speak to you individually in your circumstance and help you hear and apply. I can make suggestions to application, but for that word to quicken in your life, number one, it takes you hearing by faith, and number two, it takes the Spirit of God to bring it to life. There's no way that I can bring life to you. I can bring you the word, but it is the spirit of God that's going to give life. Amen? So I want you praying with me tonight as we go through this word that God would speak to us collectively and individually, that the spirit of God would reside in this word as he he deposits it into us. It's important that you understand that we have limits as preachers and teachers. We can only give what God allows us to give, but even in giving it to bring it to life, God is the giver of life, and it's his spirit that's going to minister to you tonight. It's not Winfred. It's, it's, it's not what he thinks he knows. It is God's spirit, and so... Even now, I humble myself before God and ask him to speak to you. Let's pray for a second, okay? Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come tonight. And we come to thank you, we come to praise you, we come to bless you. But we also come to appeal to you to teach us your word. We ask that you teach us your word that we might know your way. But even more than knowing your way, we ask you to teach us your word so that we might know you. We ask for your manifested presence in our homes and in our lives tonight. I ask that you would manifest your presence even in this teaching tonight. 
Oh, help us, God, because our desire is you. We want you. We want to know you. We want to be pleasing to you. We desire to be your servants. So help us, oh God, as we explore your word. Teach us what what it means and, and teach us what to do with it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And before I go any further, let me just say this to each one of you, and that is, bear with me for a second. Those of you who don't know Jesus, don't know this great gift that God has given us of salvation, I want to remind you, I want to tell you that God loves you so much, and he loves you so much that he wants to be you, excuse me, he wants you to be with him. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants you in his presence. And because sin separates us from the very presence of God, until we confess, repent, and accept Jesus as his son, we can't have that fellowship. And so tonight I want you to to ask yourself, do I know Jesus? Have I accepted him into my heart? Have I accepted the gift? Do I believe that he died for my sins? If you if you say no to any of those, I'm going to ask you to, to ask Jesus into your life, and all you need to do is, first of all, repent of your sins. Secondly, to, to believe, to believe. That's Excuse me, let me start over. You need to believe that Jesus died for your sins. That's number one. And that God gives him as a gift. You need to, to repent of your sins. And repent just means turning away from the lifestyle that you now live, dependent upon yourself, and turn to Jesus and accept his forgiveness and accept him as a sacrifice for your sins and accept the fact that he died for you and that he and that he wants you to come to the Father. Accept those things. Ask him to just ask him. And I I, I know I'm trying to explain this too much, but I I know the Holy Spirit is ministering to you right now. And all you need to do is say, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God. I ask you into my heart to be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I turn to you now. Teach me how to walk with you. Teach me. Forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. Just pray that little simple prayer. God will save you. And he'll take you to the next step. And he'll begin to, you know, he'll help you understand what salvation really means. He'll He'll help you to out of that position that you're in and, start, and begin your walk with him. And I know that that's very, very important for you to get because that's what we're told to preach. Amen. So now, with with that done, if you again, if you want to talk more about salvation, which is what really our mission is in all Christians, that's what we're supposed to be doing: spreading that good news that Jesus died for our sins, um, and that if we believe in Him, we can be saved. That's the mission of all Christians. Everybody who names the name of Christ, that's our job. Secondly, um, now we can get to. The teaching, and this teaching is to strengthen you, to help you know God. And what we've been doing is we've been going through First Samuel, and we're at the 21st chapter. We've been here a long time, and we call this lesson Transition to Transformation. And the, chapter 21 is part three 
of the run to the refiner. And what do we, why do we call it the run to the refiner? Because David is on the run. Saul is after him. Saul wants to kill him. We went through a number of things last week as, as the pressure intensifies on David because now Saul has just flat out said, kill him. And so David has escaped, and last week we talked about, you know, he, he's, he's run to Samuel. He is, he, his, his wife helped him escape from him. Uh, last week he met with Jonathan, and during the course of meeting with Jonathan, it was confirmed that Saul wanted to kill him. And Jonathan said something very, very curious. He says, if I shoot that aerial beyond and tell that boy to go further, go further, go further, that's the sign that the Lord has sent you away. And so in this, we know something. We know something all the way through, that this is not the work of Saul. This is not Saul acting independent. This is God using Saul to place, Samuel, to place David in a position where he is going to be trained to be king. He's already spent his time on Saul's court, in Saul's home, in, in the so-called palace. He spent his time learning how a king should act at court. Now God is going to make him the king that he called him to be. And in order for God to make him into that king, he's got to send David into the fire. David is going to be pulled away from that plush existence that he may have had, all the provisions of the king, eating at the king's table, all the accolades and people clapping and singing songs about the great exploits that he has done. All of that's going to be gone because God is going to put him in the fire. And a review of chapter 19 shows us that David asked the question, at the beginning of that chapter, what have I done? And last week we, we talked about the fact that sometimes you don't have to do anything to get what God has given you because it's all a part of his plan. It's all a part of the process of us becoming holy, of us being transformed into his likeness in us becoming what God has anointed and purposed us to be. And so if you are sitting there tonight, if you, if you are experiencing great trials and tribulations, it says, think it not strange, the fiery trials that we now undergo. No. Think about what the scripture says, that in this life we will have tribulations. But then remember the back part of that verse. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome them all. In the process of going through, as we used to say, you know, I'm going through, um, you have to understand that you're not any place going through anything that is a surprise to God. As a matter of fact, God is permitting you to go through what you are going through because he's preparing you. Mm. You know, I just, just thought pop, popped in my head, um, Daryl Coley, 
that song that he used to sing. He's preparing me for something that I can't handle right now. Remember that? Oh, I, I, I bless God for, for Daryl Coley, the time that he was with us and the, the, the many songs that he sang that ministered to us. And so what David is experiencing right now is God's preparation. We talked about that last week. And then we discuss covenant relationships and the benefit of being in a covenant relationship because one of the things that you get out of a covenant relationship is someone who will intercede for you. You're in a covenant relationship with Christ right now. And guess what? Jesus sits now at the right hand of the Father where he is interceding for you. The second thing that you experience in a covenant relationship is life, is life. David is going to receive life because his life's not going to be taken away because standing between him and Saul is Jonathan. We receive life through Jesus Christ, and I don't want to get too deep into that because that will take me someplace that I really don't want to go tonight. Thirdly, we receive, and because we have a covenant relationship with Christ, because David had a covenant relationship with Jonathan, Jonathan is going to receive generational blessings. Remember when Jonathan tells David, look, I know that when you get to the throne, you're supposed to kill me and you're supposed to kill everybody in my house. But let's form this agreement that you won't do that and that you will bless my household, that you that my household will always find favor with you. And so those are three things that we get from that, 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 that um, having, being in covenant relationship. The fi and finally, we ended the session with a discussion on intent versus purpose. In Chapter 19, it was Saul's intent to kill David so the throne would not pass from him, even though God had already told him, you're not keeping this throne. You rejected me. You rejected my word, and so I'm rejecting you as king. Remember that. Now, now then, and then, and then there's purpose, um, because God had purposed. God had anointed God was empowering David for the purpose of being the king of Israel. And we talked about uh, what intent means. Intent was a person who was resolved or determined to do something. The design or purpose to commit a wrongful or criminal act with, a, with, with wounding. It is a state of mind with which an act is done. That's the meaning of intent. It's usually um, clearly formulated and planned. But purpose, purpose is the reason for which something is done or the reason that something is created or the reason that something exists. And so Saul has intent, but God has purpose. And with that said, let's, if, if you've got any questions concerning what we covered off on last week, you can 
uh, write it on the screen on Periscope, and I'll read it, and we'll talk about it for a few minutes. Or if you are out on the um, on on our uh, blog on Blog Talk Radio, call me at nine two nine four seven seven two three oh four nine two nine four seven seven two three oh four and now that we've reviewed uh chapter nineteen what we will learn in chapter nineteen what I want to do is if if there's no calls and there's no questions I want to move immediately into chapter twenty one because chapter twenty one continues uh, uh, this David running, excuse me, toward the refiner's fire. And if I burp two or three times a night, it's because I cooked today. Just, just as an aside, I cooked today, and I cooked a um, shrimp scampi over linguine. And it was good. It was very good. And I probably had more than I should have, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I'm, I'm the sad thing is, it's a sad person who just loves his cooking more than anybody else, and I kind of love my cooking. But anyway, while I'm rambling on, why don't you go and grab your Bibles? We're at First Samuel chapter 21, and I'm going to begin reading. Now remember, David and Jonathan have just had this exchange, and they've just had this tearful scene, and they've said their farewells, and David goes on the run. And he's fleeing from Saul. And I'm going to put, pick it up at chapter 21, verse 1. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech, the priest. The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us as usual, whenever I set out. The men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was doeg. Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon, because the king's business was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Eli, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. So David flees from Jonathan, and he goes to Nob. And Nob is a town that is, I believe, uh, five to ten miles away from um, Gibeah, where Saul is located at the time. 
Um, it is between, actually, it's between Gibeah and Jerusalem. And David flees there to Nob, and Nob is this place that holds a sanctuary where the priests of God are, 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 are located. And David flees to that, that place, and I don't know if uh, the, perhaps the Ark of the Covenant, as a matter of fact, in, in thinking about it, the Ark of the Covenant is there. So David is fleeing from Saul, and it looks as if he is trying to get into the place of the presence of God. And when he gets there, he comes and he, according to the, 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 what we've just read, he deceives Ahimelech. And I'm bothered by that because this man of God is coming to the men of God, and he's not coming in truth. And sometimes we try to, to dress something up. Uh, I read where one of the commentators said, well, if he said he was on a mission from the king, he could have been referring to God. I'm going to not subscribe to that thesis simply because David is operating in a place of fear and confusion. David is running for his life. David is trying to survive. And if I could place myself in that position, one of the things that I know when we're scared is we will do what we have to do to get where we want to go. And I think that David is guilty of deception. He needs shelter, he needs food, and he needs a weapon. He knows that he is in trouble, he is getting ready to fight, and so he deceives the priests by saying that he is on a mission from Saul. The priest's understanding is not that he is on a mission from God. When he tells this to Ahimelech, Ahimelech understands, his understanding is that David is working for the king. And the king is the earthly king, Saul. So he asks for bread, he asks for provision, and the priest tells him there's none. And when, but, but there is the bread of the presence. Now, let's flip back to Leviticus chapter 24 so you can understand what that bread he's talking about is. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 24, flip there, go to... Verse number, I believe that's five. Yeah, verse number five. 24, five. And let me read about this bread. Here, Moses is commanded to tell Aaron what to do in terms of how to operate within the, uh, the tabernacle. He says, verse five, take fine flour and bake 12 loaves of bread using two-tenths of an ephah for each loaf. Set them in two rows, six in each row, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. Along each row, 
put some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and to be an offering made to the Lord by fire. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in a holy place because it is a most holy part of their regular share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. So this was the bread that 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 was set before the Lord. They call it. If you you who have a King James Bible, uh, you it's referred to as the shoe bread. And this is bread that was set up before the Lord as an offering. And after it had sat there for a period of time, and I believe they changed it daily, that um, was taken in by the priest. And the priests were to eat this bread. This was a part of their portion, and they were to eat it in a holy place. It was only for the priest. It was only to be eaten in a holy place. But here we find that the priest is giving this bread to David, who is not a priest. And why is he giving this bread to David? Because the law says that it's only for the priest. Well, there is something that overrides the Levitical law, and that is the law of love, the law of helping a neighbor in need. You see, everything that God tells us to do is based upon his love. We sometimes get caught up in the law when the number one law is to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus will tell us that in the New Testament. So sometimes when we, when we try to, uh, as they say, say, well, that's not the way it's supposed to go. Uh, we see something in church that needs to be done or somebody in need or somebody in our neighborhood in need, and we figure out one of them good old holy sanctified reasons not to do it, Casting out, you ain't supposed to cast your pearl before swine and all that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. What we are commanded to do is show forth the love of God. Ahimelech sees David's need, and he says, here, take this bread. Now, I can go on and try to connect the bread to the New Testament. I am the bread of life. But for this purpose of this teaching, the only thing that I want to leave you with is the law of love. The law of love that should always override anything else. We as Christians are supposed to always show forth the love of God in all of our dealings. And if that means we give our lunch money to some uh, person, the beggar on the street, we're supposed to love him as we love ourselves. What would you want somebody to do do if you were out there starving, especially in this heat? You want them to give you some water. You want them to give us something to eat. You want them to take care of you. Now, I know... But I, before you even say, 
but they're out there all the time, and they're out there big, and and some of them, they're not really big, because after they get our money, they go they go where they got their Cadillac or their Lexus hidden, and they change their clothes, and they draw, drive off because this is a profession for some of them. Yeah, that's true. But there are some out there that are really in need. And what we have to do is we have to ask God for a discerning spirit so we could discern the crooks from those in need. And, oh, by the way, if you happen to give your money to one of those crooks, don't worry about that. You've lent to somebody who was supposed to be poor, who is trying to trick and deceive. And fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious of the workers of inequity, and you know the end of it. Because like the green grass, they will soon be cut down. God will take care of that because they're stealing from him. They're not stealing from you. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, all that they that dwell therein. They're stealing from God. That's God's money they steal them. So don't 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 feel guilty and don't let the devil play with your mind. If you're supposed to give and it's on your heart to give and you're giving from a place of love, which is a place of God, go and give it to him. And bless him while you're giving. Amen? But anyway, he also asks for a weapon to defend himself. And this plays into this next part. And so the, the priests have no weapons. They have no weapons at all. But then he remembers this is the place that David deposited the sword of Goliath, the sword that he took from Goliath and chopped his head off. It's placed there in a holy and sacred place because David has realized, I didn't do this. This was done by the power of God. Are you seeing the contrast now between David and Saul? When Saul got a great victory, what did Saul do? Saul went back and built a monument to himself. When God gave David victory, what does David do? David goes back and presents that sword as a memorial to God. Wow. Let's keep reading. And, oh, excuse me, let's talk about this part where he says, and there being detained by the priests was Doeg the Edomite. Now, we don't know the purpose. He was detained. It says he was detained before God. We, we don't get, have any information as to why he was detained, but we do know that he was detained. Perhaps it had something to do with some kind of ceremonial uncleanness, uh, perhaps it had something to do with some kind of violation, but for any event, he had to stay where he was. He wasn't free. He was not free to travel. Now this Doeg, it says he was an Edomite. Now, so you understand, Edomites are descendants of Esau. Go back in the in your Bible and look at Esau and um, Jacob, how they wrestled in their mother's womb. And how there was always how they were contentious. How um, it's it, it, that um, Esau, uh, excuse me, Jacob stole uh, Esau's birthright, or excuse me, Esau sold Jacob his birthright for a pot of stew, and then 
um, let me get it right, Winfred. He sold his birthright because he uh, was hungry and disdained it, and the birthright was that he was supposed to get a double portion of his father's things. And then secondly, um, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, and and secondly, um, Jacob tricked Isaac out of Esau's blessing. And so he got the greater blessing. And they were at war in the womb. They were at war after that. As a matter of fact, um, when you look at it, you find out that Jacob was kind of a mama's boy, and he was slick. He was slick. He was always about the hook and the crook. And so he and Esau became enemies, and this traveled down through the generations. As a matter of fact, if you look over at, um, I believe it's Numbers 20, what you'll see is um, when the Israelites got ready to go into the promised land, it was the Edomites that would not let them go through their territory. And God forbade, um, first of all, them to fight the Edomites. Secondly, he forbade them from hating the Edomites. Thirdly, he um, wouldn't let them have any of their territory. And so they, they, it was just, they never got along. And here we see, once again, the Edomites, who are always trying to prevent Israel from getting to the place of promise, here we see another Edomite interacting with David in such a way, that, and we'll see this later on, that he serves as one who tries to prevent David from getting to the place of purpose and promise. That's what you want to see here. That's what you that that that's the that's the big thing that you'll see as you identify doing. Now it doesn't come into a focus quite yet. It'll come into focus in a, in a in a in a in a in one of the chapters that follow. But right now, all you need to remember is Doeg is an Edomite. He is a servant of Saul. He's the chief shepherd over Saul's flocks. And Doeg is one that um, that's going to work like the Edomites always work as enemies of Israel, of in, enemies of God's purpose. Amen? Now, if you got any questions, call me now at 929-477-2304 or if you are on Periscope with me right now, you can ask me a question. I'll try to answer it to the best of my ability. But in the meantime, in between time, let this word settle in you and, and, and hear what the Lord is saying to you. Because I know that there's a lot going on in the spirit. Most of the stuff that's happening right now with you out there and in, 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 on the Internet as well as on Periscope, I don't have a clue. All I can tell you is what the Lord has showed me. But the Holy Spirit is ministering to you tonight, and he's showing you some things in the Spirit, and I bless God for that. Okay, get, go to verse 10, 21 verse 10. 21 verse 10. Now, he's at Nob. He leaves Nob. And let's see what happens next. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David 
the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Atchis, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Atchis said to his servants, Look at that man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? What you see here is David making a bad move. First he runs to the house of God, and basically he discovers that, mm -mm, I can't stay here. There's no, I, I cannot stay here. So he gets that bread, and he gets that sword, and he runs from the sanctuary into enemy territory. And he runs specifically to the enemy of Israel, the enemy of God, the Philistines. In short, let me tell you something. David is acting, is playing. Now, let me say it in a better way. David is acting like he done lost his mind. Now, it doesn't say that he walked into the city with the sword of Goliath in his hand. He could have stashed that sword somewhere before he went into the city, or then again he could have had it with him. The author doesn't say. But let's pretend for a minute. Let's assume something for a minute. Okay, again, I say it again. We don't know if he had the sword with him or not. We know that he got the sword. But can you imagine David showing up in Gath? David, who killed Goliath, come walking into the city with Goliath's sword. Everybody would know Goliath's sword. But he walked in there with that sword in his hand. Or if he doesn't walk in with the sword in his hand and he just walks in, David has such a reputation among the Philistines because David is the leader of, the, of Israel who has inflicted big losses on the Philistines. So of course they're going to know who he is. And he's going to walk and try to join up with the enemy, the enemy that he has been killing left and right. That's nuts. And what was he expecting? Did he expect that they were going to, when, when he got there, they were going to, oh, here come David, he want to be on our side. Oh, no, they got some get back on their mind. And David realizes when he gets there and he does not get the reception that he thought he should have got. Because how did they receive him? They said, isn't this the one they sing about and dance about? Saul is slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands. It's the dude that's been whooping our behind. Oh, what we got, what we got. And David realizes that he's in trouble. And so... David has 
acted like a fool, so now he's going to pretend that he's a fool. Like he, and, and he starts desecrating their walls with scribble. And the author says he also desecrates himself by spitting on his beard. The beard was a very, very important part of a man. And that beard itself, you took care of your beard. You wasn't letting no spitting stuff get on your beard. It's like it's, it's desecration. As a matter of fact, you want to start a fight with somebody, you mess with their beard, cut their beard off, do something to that beard. The beard of an Israelite was sacred. That hair was sacred. And so when he begins to do that, they think this man lost his mind. He's and and so 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 they ask the question: Is he insane? Has he lost his mind? And in doing that, David was smart because David understood that to the Philistines, them killing a person who they considered insane, and the king had said, this man is insane. If you kill someone who was insane, that was taboo to the Philistines simply because an insane person was under divine affliction, that they were having a fight with God, and you didn't want to get in, in between a fight with God and, and that person. So if you were deemed out of your mind, that was something that God did to you, or the, uh, in case when the Philistines, Dagon, their gods had done, and so their custom was, no, we don't kill them. We just shoo them away. And that is essentially what happened to David. David gets kicked out of Gath. He's freed from them. Now, there are some commentators who say that, that they locked him up in jail. In this passage, it could, this passage can support that, although it's, it, it says, look at here, I'm, I'm at about verse 13. So he pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands. So now one way you can interpret that is while he was under their control, in the, another way is while he was in their territory, and still another way that some commentators choose to say is while they had him locked in prison. You see, they locked him up. Okay. Yeah, when they saw him, they locked him up. Now, which one of those three is, is, is true? I don't know, because the author doesn't tell us this specifically. But what we do know is that they kicked him out and they let him go. They didn't want him there because the king said, look, I got enough crazy folk around me. I don't need another one. And David praises God for this in Psalm 34. Turn over to Psalm 34. And again, if you've got questions, call me at 772304. And on Periscope, just if you got a question, just pop it up on the thing. Look, turn over to Psalm 34 real quick. I'm doing too many things at once and forgetting what I'm supposed to be doing. Listen to what David says. 
concerning his experience at that time. Psalm 34. Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praises will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good things, keep your tongue from evil, from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all their bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servant. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. This is David's expression after God rescues him from Gath. Now, remember, he ran to the sanctuary seeking refuge. He ran down to Gath seeking refuge, and he couldn't find them there. And this is David saying, when you are in the fire, one of the things that you will learn is how to cry out to God. You see, he was seeking help and deliverance, and he was seeking them the best way he knew how. But one of the things that he had to learn is to stop running to people trying to find your salvation and deliverance and cry out to God. So what do we learn from this? First of all, he learned, and he, he learned that, you know what, pray. And that's what we can learn in the fire. One of the things that, that I know folks know how to do when they get in trouble is they, learn, they know how to call on God. You know, sometimes when we, when, when we get in trouble, especially when we're young, what's the first thing we do? Mama, Daddy! But as we get older, guess what we are? The first words out of our mouth, Jesus! 
Oh, Lord. Come to Jesus. I mean, we will we know it's instinctive for us in our time of extreme trouble to call upon the Lord, to cry out to God. And what the Lord would have us learn is that even before we go into the fire, even before, even before we face our trial or our tribulation, God wants us to learn to cry out to him, to depend and trust in him. Yeah, that's what David is learning. That's what we learn in the refiner's fire. Think about the last time that you, you, you had a problem. Who helped you solve your problem? You went to this person, you went to that person, you tried this remedy, you tried that remedy, but what was the absolute solution? I don't even have to wait for the answer. The solution was, is, and always will be the Lord. And David, as he goes to the to this purging and purifying process, in the refiner's fire, as God begins to train him for reigning, he teaches him the importance of prayer. Look, let me show you. First of all, go back to Psalm 34 again. Let's, let, let me just take a few minutes. I got the time to do it tonight. Let me just take a few minutes because this, this was a rather short chapter, and I don't want to move to the next chapter yet. He says, he says, in verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. The poor man called, verse 6, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Try God. Come, my children, and listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, verse 15. The righteous cry out, verse 17. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, verse 18. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. The Lord redeems his servants. No one who condemns, who, who, no one will be condemned who takes refuge in him, verse 22. Do you see this? He is saying, look, go to God. God will save you. Cry out to God. God will deliver you. That's my testimony. That's my experience. That is the training that I got when God was getting me ready to be the king. Couldn't get it from the priest. Couldn't get it from the enemy. Now, let's, let's, let's slow up for a second. I need to talk about this enemy. And I, I thought about this this afternoon. This thought came across my mind this afternoon. There are too many of us who get in trouble, and we make the same mistake that David did. We play crazy. We go and we compromise ourselves by joining up with the enemy. Sometimes we don't just join up with the enemy. Uh, sometimes we cast off all the teachings that God has given us, and we begin to practice the same 
uh, tactics that the enemy practices. Jesus comes back and he says, you know what? He says, in the kingdom, bless them that curse you. He tells us about hating our enemies. We're not supposed to hate them. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to pray for them. But there are too many times where we join Satan and cross, walk away from the word of God and begin to employ the word that Satan and the ways of Satan, and it just diminishes and demolishes us. There are some of us who are taking some actions of compromise right now that are destroy, that's destroying our very soul. And I want you to think about this when, when I say this. So, you are having problems paying your bills. And you can get with a member of the opposite sex. And this is men as well as women. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, now in this time, you can get with another guy. You're a guy and you get with another guy, or you're a girl and you get with another girl because they look like they're going to be the solution to your problem. And I'm not talking about holy matrimony and uh, or anything like that. I'm talking about, you know, you become somebody's boy toy or you get you a sugar daddy and you decide that you're going to shack up and play house or give your body over to them because they are the solution to your rent. They will pay your car note. They'll get you some clothes. They will put some money in your pocket. They will give you a feeling of uh, prestige. And you compromise everything that you know. You go into the camp of the Philistines and surrender yourself to the enemy or try to enjoin yourself with the enemy because you are running away from the problem. And you don't trust the hand of God who is guiding you and leading you and delivering you. Now that's just a that's an example. There's a bunch of other examples where we compromise ourselves. We compromise ourselves in the office, for example, when when somebody's around there cussing and cussing us out, and rather than going in on praying and blessing them because we're just as big and bad as they are and we know all of those words and we can say them better than they can say them, we turn around and we don't say, God bless you. It might start with a God, but it ain't no bless after it. It begins with a D and ends with a it. And all of the things that go along or come after that, you're going to put them in your place place with your tongue. God didn't tell you to do that. And so you are acting like the enemy rather than suffering for a season and letting God handle them, rather than taking it for a few minutes and watch God use them, use you to perhaps deliver what's causing, deliver them from what's causing them 
to act like a fool. As a soft word turns away wrath. And so sometimes what we have to do is we have to do and follow what God says do and not do what David did, but instead, and, and, and enjoying ourselves to the enemy, but instead we need to focus in and cry out to God. And in our situation, in whatever we're going through, we need to cry out to God, even in that fire, knowing that he is with us and that he'll never leave us or forsake us. i got about three minutes. Let me run through a quick review. What are the things that we learned from the chapter? The good news is I've got them written down so I can accomplish this in three minutes. First thing we learned from this chapter as well as from the last chapter is God is in control and he knows what he's doing. Secondly, there is a purpose for David going to Nob. He just doesn't wander there. God leads him there. The priests are a part of the plan. And next week what we'll see is how David's actions at Nob are a part of God's word concerning the house of Eli. Remember him? This is a reminder to us that God's word does not return void without accomplishing his purpose. Third, the enemy is never the answer. Joining up with the enemy and acting like the enemy is never the answer. Fourth, that God hears and answers prayer. Fifth, stop running from God in his hand of discipline but run to him knowing that this is for your good. I think it's Minister Keith Staten that has that, that, that song that he put out many years ago. For my good, for my good, things will work out for my good. That, that song, look it up and hear the whole thing. It'll bless your heart. But then remember this, all things work together for good to them who are called by God to them who are called according to his purpose. Remember that passage right there. So stop running and accept the discipline. Stop fighting the discipline. Thirdly, let's look at some action steps in this phase of refinement. Okay, first, embrace the plan and the process. You in it? God put you in it? Embrace it. The word says, my son, do not despise the Lord's and, because, and discipline means it is a correction which results in education and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Second thing, trust God. So first is embrace the plan and purpose. Second, trust God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And finally, give yourself and all your fears to him. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. Know, as we close out this segment, that God cares for you even when he sends you into the fire. It's for your good. 
Hallelujah. We bless God tonight for you. We pray that you have received something uh, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now and that he's doing something wonderful. As we sign off from from the um, from uh, the Internet um, on our Word on Wednesday on Blogcast Radio, on Blog Talk Radio, we just want you to know that God's with you. God's got this thing under control. We know that fire is hot. I know that fire is hot. I've been in the fire, the refining fire before, and as a matter of fact, I'm in it right now. But that's all right, because no matter, he said, through fire and flood, he'd be with me. And I know that where he is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's fullness of joy. And so because I know he has his hand on me, because I know that he's ordered my steps, because I know that his purpose for my life is a good one, I'm all right with it. I might not, I don't don't like being in the fire, but I like being with God. I don't like the purging and the refining process, but I love what God is doing. I love that he's making me into what he purposed me to be. And I know you love it too. So don't despise it because God is going to prepare us or he is preparing us in the fire. He is training us for reigning. His word says, if you suffer with me, you'll reign. You take it, take what the world is throwing at you. Take the abuse, take the, the all, all all of the crap that they bring with them. If you can take that, just like I took it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna strengthen you to take it. And his word is true. He'll give you the grace to go through it all. If you can take it, you can reign with him. And he doesn't. He's already ordained you to take it, and he's already said you could take it, because if you couldn't take it, he wouldn't be giving it to you. God bless you. May he keep you, may his face ever smile upon you. Let's pray tonight. Let's pray and end our session tonight. Now, I pray that you were blessed, as I have been, even, even after the studies and the time in his word, even as we spoke tonight to you, um, God was continuing to bless my life and show me even more and more and more. And I thank God for his revelation. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name we come to thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. We pray tonight, God, that you have that you have blessed somebody by your spirit. Hallelujah. We pray, O oh God, that that even as you've deposited this word into their hearts, that not one word falls to the ground and and is wasted. But O oh Lord, that you that you bless them, not just with revelation, but with power. Give them the strength to endure the fire. Give them joy in the midst of their sorrows. 
You are so good. You are so wonderful, kind, and true. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And before you go, let me leave you with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And that's for you, and that's for your household, that's for your community and all who you come in contact with. God bless you. I'll see you next week. Chapter 22, Transition to Transformation with the Word on Wednesday. This is Pastor Winfred Burns Sr. signing off. God bless you.